0: Welcome, fellow seekers, to episode 70 of the podcast, God Beyond the Bible. Perhaps we might call this the unofficial home of folks who range from the curious cautious or the cautious curious, I don't know which, (laughs) to the serious seeker concerning the Bible and our personal experience with the Most High.
1: All right, our shout-outs this week go to Ahmad and Charles. All right, and our quote of the week is, You cannot change the people
2: around you, but you can change the people around you.
0: Oh, yeah, a little play on words. I like that. I like that. And what if you're married to them or if they're your daughters? You're you just stuck <laughs> with us. There's nothing you can do. For the past several episodes, we've been discussing the timely topic of what has become known in many circles as end-time prophecy, namely the Olivet Discourse found in uh matthew 24 mark 13 and luke 21 and the book of revelation which we have come to believe is john's more comprehensive breakdown of jesus message concerning the future of the temple you girls think that you think that the revelation is just an expansion on matthew 24
2: i do yeah i'm i wouldn't have if you'd have asked me that five years ago oh yeah
0: yeah okay i just wanted to see if we were all on the same page here so uh, it was a breakdown of Jesus' message concerning the future of the temple, the city of Jerusalem, and the surrounding region of Judea and the Roman Empire's uh, siege and destruction of that region.
1: Okay, we, have, but we believe that we've well established the fact that those who translated our English versions of the text, what we know as our modern Western Bible, took great liberty when it came to translating certain words from the original Greek to the English language. Two prime examples are the Number one, the word aion, A-I-O-N, which is properly translated age in some places, but translated world in others, which completely leads the reader astray when improperly translated. Our best example of this, of course, is in Matthew 24, when the disciples privately questioned Jesus about his statement concerning the destruction of the temple, and our English translators substituted world for age. Leading the reader to interpret the question as one about the end of the material earth instead of what it was, which was a question about the end of the Jewish covenant age. And the second,
2: as we discussed in a previous episode, is the Greek word gehay, which is primarily, it's G-H-A-Y, which is primarily a word that means a particular region or land. And it changes the whole meaning for the reader when the translator substituted whole earth or whole world, when the context clearly called for the translation to be the whole land, referring to the Judean territory surrounding Jerusalem and the temple. In short, when we read the whole earth or the whole world, when the writer meant the whole land or the end of an era at most, it's not most, if not all of readers' minds jump to a global event sometime in the far distant future. Not all, but most prophecy students and teachers alike either aren't aware of or they simply ignore these subtle but extreme interpretation-altering substitutions.
0: A lot of big words there. (laughs) A lot of misspelled words there it looked (laughs) like. As we've pointed out, unfortunately, many, if not most, of the translators shared a preconceived idea of what the text was intending to say before they ever translated. In plain words, with minimal research, we discovered that the doctrine of the Olivet Discourse and the revelation being a prophecy to be fulfilled sometime in the far distant future, not only already existed when these translators were working, but was the prevailing mindset of the scholars of that translational period, as is the prevailing philosophy and doctrinal mindset today. Uh, They were already well indoctrinated and it had become I mean, and even the Roman church had already made the decision that it was future prophecy it was, and, and made it their law, basically.
2: Um, so, you guys feel pretty confident that this was like confirmation bias? where they made sure that the scripture went along with what they well, already yeah. believed and, and, and we
0: do that at our best we do that sure. and, uh, tra- and, and translators are no different when they're translating they'll they'll do the same thing if
2: you know what it says you make it say what you know it says right well
0: right. if you want it to say but that's the reason that we're and and folks may be getting tired of us just reminding them of the urgency of the message and all of this stuff but that's so important to i mean we've been indoctrinated so long that there was no urgency here because it's thousands of years in the future mm-hmm. that's why we just keep repeating this we want everybody to grasp this not because we're wanting to interpret and we're not going to do much more of the book of revelation but not because we're wanting to interpret it word for word for it but give you the keys to help you in, interpret yes. it for yourself
1: right this is the mindset that we're challenging in this series of episodes When we stepped back and looked at these texts with a fresh set of eyes, we must say we're quite taken back by how deeply indoctrinated we had become with this futurist concept, Mm -hmm. when the text, and more importantly, the Lord Jesus clearly said otherwise. In the Olivet Discourse and various other places, when Jesus spoke of these events, we have been told he was speaking of a far distant future generation in spite of the fact that he clearly said over and over that some of you standing here shall not taste death until you see me coming in my kingdom and i tell you the truth this generation shall not pass away until you see all these things come to pass and we
0: talked about last week how if you were standing there and you were his audience and he said that you would clearly understand him to be talking about you
2: Mm -hmm. and going back and rereading this and like we discussed in I think it was the last episode or the episode before the common futuristic belief with this is that it was Jesus was talking to whatever generation was alive when this
1: happens. Mm-hmm.
2: Does that make it doesn't that really make it not much of a prophecy if it's just some of you won't taste death whoever you are that are alive and reading this when yeah, it all happens. In some
0: far distant future yeah. some somebody will be alive. When all this happens Somebody will still be alive Somebody somewhere (laughs) So he
2: continued with warnings Like when you see these things come to pass Don't return to your house and pack a bag But instead flee to the mountains Clearly intending his audience To interpret this as a literal And physical threat That might be personally averted By remaining alert Reading the signs And physically fleeing the land Mm -hmm. Especially the walled city of Jerusalem And the temple
0: and, and you know, I don't see how we get that, you know, I don't see how we get when he says run and run for the hills and go hide out in the mountains, flee to the mountains. don't go. How how do we convert that to some future? Of course, then there are those that most people, most of them will say, oh, no, that was, that was about the destruction. That part of it was about the destruction, but the rest of it wasn't. Exactly. The other parts after that weren't. So, you know, that's how we work our way around that. Am I number six? Mm-hmm. As far as for the book of Revelation, we pointed out the fact that the first three verses clearly tell the reader that the text is urgent because these are the things that must quickly come to pass, quoting, and the time is at hand, all in the first three verses. With all this evidence that the prophetic words were clearly intended for that generation in that period of time in that particular region, when did quickly and soon become interpreted as much later in the far distant future and when did the destruction of the land of Judah become the whole earth? Well, you can do a little research and find right. out. It's been a process, but it, 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 it's, it's an intentional process. Yes.
1: Of James Stewart Russell, in his book titled The Parosia, written in the mid-1800s, made the observation that for centuries, men had vigorously searched for the key to unlock the mysteries of the revelation when the key was hanging by the door in plain sight. That key, Russell insists, is the reading of the Revelation with the understanding that it was all about a very particular region of the earth, that is the land of Judea and the Roman Empire, in a very distinct period of time, that is the three-and-one-half-year period from mid-A.D. 66 to A.D. 70, when the horrific siege and destruction of Jerusalem and the temple occurred.
0: And I can't say it enough, when I discovered that it lasted from mid 66 to 70 and realized that 42 months just like the book of revelation said pretty well was the sage three and a half years Mm -hmm. times times and a half times. i thought why are we missing this yeah why are we who's 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 causing us to miss this clear fulfillment of that prophecy
2: well and we're about to conclude segment one with that thought but i did want to tell our listeners that if you are interested you can read james stewart russell's the parousia it's p-a-r-o-u-s-i-a parousia mm-hmm. and it's available on amazon for 99 cents but guys it is a very <laughs> he slow was, technical he read was a, but it has a lot in it
0: he was making his argument against the uh, theological masterminds of yes. his day all of the people that were very intelligent so he made he was and he was an educator he was a, he was an attorney very, and all kinds of stuff so he was he was not directing his book and argument toward the common man because first of all in the 1850s most of the common men weren't going to read that book to begin with he was directing his arguments toward all men through time Mm -hmm. that were Mm -hmm. trying to say that this was all futuristic prophecy that it actually didn't take place in A 70 and he's a lot of details i mean he's got yes just it's a
1: very large it's, book. A, it's, it's a lot to take in but it's not really hard to understand no as far no. I mean, he, it's you know. over
0: 400 well he uses some pretty big terms i mean he uses some terms there's a couple of terms he used i still don't know what they mean because i couldn't even find them in the dictionary but i was just <laughs> but anyway
2: well with that we're gonna pause and we'll be back in a minute with part two
0: Okay, now if James Stuart Russell and others who share his view of the New Testament Bible prophecy as pointing to and having been fulfilled by the wars in the land of uh, Judah uh, or Judea, whichever you prefer to call it, the siege of the walled city of Jerusalem, and the destruction of the first century temple in AD 70, then he is correct in saying that the key to the interpretation of these texts is clearly hanging next to the door. Uh, If you look at the first three verses of Revelation, these must soon come to pass, must happen quickly. And he's calling that the keys to the door to unlock the book of Revelation. I don't know why it's been so hard for so long. In other words, quickly means quickly, soon means soon. This generation means this existing generation. And some of you standing here means within your very lifetime.
2: So what you're saying is all of our two and three month long Revelation studies...
0: Have just kind of well, and they're always changing. And the reason they're always changing is because people are looking for new keys to fit the locks, yes. and they're finding new interpretations. When, you know, the interp- it couldn't have been clearer to me. I don't think now. I've
2: ever set through two Revelation studies that were even similar. Well, I've to never each read other. it
0: twice the same way until I understood and had the keys, and, and then, it started, what then it started. Then it started. Now, at. not saying that I all of the enigmatic and symbolic stuff i'm not saying i understand all well, of that but the, i can guarantee you it fits into that three and, and it fits into that the siege and the destruction much of like we were
2: discussing about james stewart russell's book the parosia we're looking back into something archaic so every little nuance isn't going to make sense any more than i struggle sometimes in the bible with some of the farming Mm -hmm. references because i'm not a farmer that's not something but even dj's dad would always pull
1: stuff like he's like oh i get that
0: yeah agricultural (laughs) connection there yeah
1: okay now last week we pointed out a couple things one is that the revelation was clearly addressed to its intended recipients which were the seven churches of asia as stated in revelation 1 4 and they're specifically named in verse 11 and that John is told to write down the entire prophecy or book and send it in complete form to these seven churches. We find it interesting that we read other texts addressed to particular churches such as Romans or Corinthians and we don't question who the letter was intended for yet we tend to ignore the fact that the revelation was just as clearly addressed. And
0: not just those first three chapters.
1: Right. right. <laughs> see,
0: I hear so many people say, Well, those first three chapters pertain to those churches. But then But then
2: it was a future then, prophecy. Because
0: then the rest of it, everybody says there's people who say everything after that since the church isn't mentioned again. Those churches are mentioned. They say, Well, the church isn't mentioned after the third chapter so said. It's all of the rest of that's future prophecy. I hmm. see. They said that's the rapture. They say that's the rapture because the church wasn't mentioned after the third chapter. So oh. that's the rapture. So everything after that happens after the rapture.
2: Wow. Okay, I've, I've never been clear on the, how the pre That's how pre-tribulation came rapture, about. that's
0: how they explain the book of Revelation, which right. is a little bit, well, anyway.
2: It's on a little shaky ground, we'll say that. Yeah. And this is not to say that it did not get copied. Talking
0: about the revelation yes. that was passed around, yeah.
2: It's not to say that it did not get copied, shared, and distributed to other first century believers outside of those seven churches, but it does not mean, but it does not change the fact that it was specifically addressed, and as far as we know, delivered in its complete state to these specified seven churches, and this is very important because it shows that the prophecy was directed toward a specific region, not the whole planet. And it was the region occupied by these churches that would be directly and imminently affected. And if you will Google the location of the seven churches mm-hmm. in Revelation, it puts a little pin on the map and shows you how close together these seven churches really were. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, one other thing we need to remain aware of, and that is the fact that John believed that at the time of his writing of the Revelation, he believed the period of the tribulation had already begun. In chapter 1, verse 9, he writes, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. We talked about this last week. He used the code word tribulation, which he clearly knew, in my mind, would be directly associated with Jesus' prediction of the great tribulation or great distress on the land in his Olivet Discourse pertaining to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple.
1: This should also make it clear that John is writing of the same event pertaining to the same region and period of time that Jesus was referring to in the Olivet Discourse. This is our first clue that John was connecting this entire prophecy to Jesus' end of the age prophecy in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. So, equipped with this key to the book of Revelation, the reader should be able to use the key to unlock many of the mysteries of this book that have remained locked to those who choose to manufacture their own keys.
2: So I had to look up the explanation for that line, too, because I've, I've really wh- started which, questioning... which line in, is that? Um, John's line that he is the okay. our brother in tribulation yeah. and our companion in tribulation. I can tell
0: you what the, what the answer you got. Go ahead. I think I can. The answer is going to be John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, and so he was calling that his tribulate. That was his tribulation.
2: There was that was one of them and the other one that I read that was a little bit was he was a companion in tribulation because he'd seen all of this stuff so he had kind of almost gone through all of it because he had watched it happen yeah
0: but but (laughs) (laughs) the thing of it is that was in his introduction before he even told him any of that stuff when he said I am your companion I'm on the Isle of Patmos I am your companion in this tribulation
2: okay all right, so I'm number six, right? I think so. We're not going to attempt a word for word, verse by verse discussion of the entire book of Revelation, but instead, we will only point out a couple more things that help us use the key that we have as we conduct a personal study of this book that's been used to sow fear and confusion on generation after generation and still does to this day in the believing community. It sure
0: does. Number one. And that is that as we read the personal notes pertaining to the specific churches that are located in the land or the region to be directly affected by the wars, the sieges, and the destructions, we need not forget our theme. It is the theme of urgency because the time is at hand for all of them. There is no time to tarry and look for far, futuristic, fantastical meanings and interpretations. The time is now at hand for this generation. The same one of Jesus' day when he clearly said this generation to see the things that predicted come to pass before the very eyes. John indicates that the tribulation is right now. We're in it. I'm in it with you. And they are in it together.
1: This theme of urgency and immediacy is clear in the lines that pertain particularly to the seven churches. To Ephesus, he says, I come unto thee quickly. To Smyrna, thou shalt have tribulation ten days. To Pergamos, I will come unto thee quickly. Tyatira, hold fast till I come. Sardis, I will come on thee as a thief. To Philadelphia, behold, I come quickly. And lastly, to Laodicea, behold, I stand at the door and knock.
0: Now, does that not sound... Then, I mean, all, I don't understand that shall have tribulation. But all the rest of those are just like, I'll be there, you know, whole, all of that stuff. Yeah. But I'm getting ahead of I'm getting ahead of well, tracing that. And I
2: noticed that if there's a really clear progression here. And I hadn't really paid attention to that before, I guess, because I never set those lines beside each other. But, you know, he goes from, I'm coming quickly. It's almost like I'm on my way. I'm almost there i'm standing at the door and knocking right now here we go yeah
0: it's here it's at the door and when you say it's at the door that's what that means
2: yeah it's Mm -hmm. starting
0: hey it's now all
2: right so let's be serious if you were seeing the things that jesus said would be signals of the onset of the final destruction happening such as wars and rumors of wars famine and pestilence already beginning to happen and you received this last minute prophecy saying things like I come quickly and hold fast till I come and behold, I stand at the door and knock. Would you (laughs) sigh a sigh of relief because you interpreted this to mean that the things in the book don't really pertain to you in your lifetime? No, you would interpret quickly to mean very soon, not much, much later down the road. And
0: you know, when you look at it from this perspective, isn't it amazing that we can just have all these years we look at that stuff and just say, well, they knew it didn't mean... They knew it really didn't mean. Yeah. Okay. So we can clearly see no matter what other pertinent details were included for each individual church, the theme of urgency is evident and it's palatable. And if you were expecting it to play out right before your very eyes, you were doing so because Jesus said in so many ways at so many different times that it would. And if it didn't play quickly and soon as you were clearly told it would, then... You've been deceived. I mean, I don't know any other way to put it. Let us state right now, if you were a participant of one of those churches at that moment in time, you would be well aware that the time is at hand.
1: Mm -hmm. So we see the clear theme running through the personal notes to the seven churches, and that theme is the time is at hand. Expect that this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled, and the whole land shall see him appear with the clouds, even those who pierced him and they will flee to the mountains and cry for the mountains to hide them from the face of the lamb whom they crucified. And and
0: did you know that they tried to, they even had an escape route dug into Jerusalem where they went under the temple and it went to the catacombs.
2: Really? It went
0: to the mountains and one of the guys, I don't know what he thought he was going to do. I can't remember his name. He rose up out of the rubble of the temple and was going to scare the whole group, you know, like mm-hmm. I, like he was God, or I don't know what he thought, or a prophet or something, and he come up through the rubble because he used this tunnel. Now, this is, this is history. I think Josephus documents it. He came up through the deal, and they were in awe for a moment, and then they killed him. <laughs> and, and then they went down in the tunnel and found the tunnel that went to all of the other, and they killed a bunch of the He caused Um, a whole group. It was
2: like 1,500 of them were hidden at the other end of the catacomb. And
0: and they went in through that tunnel they had dug into the temple, and the troops went in there and then just slaughtered. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, well.
2: So with that thought, let's go ahead and pause and regroup, and then we'll return with part three in just a minute.
0: Okay. Now we've talked about the theme of immediacy and urgency over and over. I'm sure you're tired of hearing about that. That is the key to unlocking the book of Revelation and how it runs from front to back, starting with the word quickly and the time is at hand and in the last two verses, I come quickly. Mm -hmm. And as we observe, and I'm talking about the last two verses in the whole book, I come quickly and as we observed this theme of urgency was emphasized over and over again in the personal notes to each of the seven churches what i stand at the door and knock we, we just went over that mm-hmm.
1: as we said earlier we're not going to attempt a word-for-word verse-for-verse exposition of the book of revelation but merely point out the keys that were clearly given to the early recipients of the prophecy and the keys that most modern prophecy students have ignored in favor of manufacturing their own keys that cause so much perplexity and frustration because they clearly do not satisfactorily open the text to understanding.
2: So in this segment, let's move ahead to the opening of the seals as it begins in chapter five. If we will cast aside the brainwashing that's been associated with this event, we will find that we can't help but see that the opening of the seals mirrored Jesus' predictions found in the Olivet Discourse perfectly in fact the opening of the seals is the complete course of the final events surrounding the wars of the lands of judah the siege on jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and the appearance of christ with the clouds all in the short version stuttered a little there Sorry, sorry guys this is where we must come to realize that the remainder of the book of revelation does not run in a linear sequence but is actually a more detailed breakdown of the same events as they are played out over and over again and starting to see them as sort of layers stacked on top of each other
0: you guys can't remember we had biology books when we were in school and in the human anatomy there would be the skeletal and then the the, and you would close these 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 transparent pages with all that Mm over and it's kind of the way the book of revelation Mm -hmm. is you lay one page over another page but i'm telling you guys The opening of the seven seals. Now, the reason we're only going to go through next week and we'll get through the sixth seal next week, we're going to go through four of them today and six seals, the other two next week. The only reason we don't go on into the seventh seal because the seventh seal is a segue into the seven trumpets. Right. And then the seventh trumpet is a segue into the seven vials. But they're all the events overlapping, the same thing happening at the same time in sequence. Is it me, number four? Mm -hmm. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven vials. Are all the same events seen in greater detail showing the effect of the events of the seals on different elements of life and society of that region in a brief period of time but let's don't get too kinked up with that right now what we want to keep in mind is that the recipients of the prophecy would have in mind and the key is urgency it must quickly soon to come to pass because the time is at hand
1: okay let's discuss what is known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse These are the symbolic figures who travel across John's line of spiritual vision as the first four seals are opened. The first thing we need to dispel is that the opening of the seals has still not begun at our present point in time. To believe this is to put the book of Revelation on pause.
0: As as many people have done. right? Mm
1: -hmm. And to leave it on pause until some unknown time in the future. This theory, however, violates the key to the whole prophecy, and that is the urgency of the time is at hand. And I would probably say
2: that the four horsemen are probably the most famous, you know, um, part of the book of Revelation. Yes,
0: yes. Every yeah. and, and next is the Antichrist, the, mm-hmm. the mark of the beast.
2: So the first part of chapter five begins with a heavenly scene with a figure sitting on the throne and a scroll in his right hand that is sealed with seven seals. No one is found in heaven or on earth that was qualified to break the seals and release the mysteries of the scroll And John starts to weep. And let's pause here for a moment. Why was John weeping? If the scroll couldn't be opened, then everything would be on hold for an indeterminate period of time. And this would push the event contained in the sealed scroll to some time in the future. Mm -hmm. However, as remaining true to our key, there is someone who is qualified to break open the seals.
0: Now, John is urged to stop weeping because there was one present who was qualified to open the sealed scroll. And John describes what he saw as he observed the qualified person. He said, there stood a lamb as it had been slain. I don't think we have any problem figuring out who that is. Uh, John said the morning, the weeping in the morning turned to jubilation as the lamb took the scroll and proceeded to break the seals. Now, let's think about this a moment. If those seals still remain unbroken to this day, then we must assume that Jesus is frozen in time, still standing in the midst of the throne, symbolized as a lamb that has been slain. John makes no allusion to a long period of time having passed before the lamb takes the scroll and begins to unseal it. Quite the opposite. He indicates that as soon as the lamb arrives on the scene, he's handed the scroll. Mm -hmm. Because nobody seems to notice he's there and then he just appears. Mm -hmm. So that almost makes you think that as soon as the ascension took place.
1: Right. The wheel started he, he took
0: possession of the scroll and started opening it. That's all I wanted to say about that.
1: This would mean that as soon as Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives, recorded in the first chapter of the book of Acts, then he immediately took the scroll, and the final events that he promised would soon happen, or would, would soon begin to unfold right then, and within less than 40 years, it had all happened. And yeah, I just... and,
0: and all of Revelation did take place, excuse me, in that, in that three and a half years, uh, but... The real serious, the tribulation part of it, when it got serious, the destruction and everything was the last sure. three and a half years. Right. But all of the stuff, the wars and everything, I read somewhere, and I'll throw this in not to just clutter things up, but that, that that you know, Jesus was promised peace on earth, goodwill mm-hmm. toward me. I read that there were no recorded wars during his 33 years of life.
2: And, of course, we...
0: That that there was peace and no wars. But after he the ascended, Roman Empire wars was started not, breaking was out. Break out. Yeah, I'm just... yeah.
2: The Roman Empire was at its height, so yeah. there wasn't. They were in complete control, but we can use World War One because that's something that happened closer to our lifetimes. World War One didn't just erupt overnight. It was all of these little cracks sure, and sure, sure skirmishes sure. that started, and everyone's kind of watching it happen until it got so big that everyone and this, ended it, up that's involved. a good description
0: of what happened there in the land of Judah and Roman Empire.
2: So, Jesus opens the seals, beginning in chapter 6, and the four horsemen are released. And it's very clear that this is the identical event that Jesus began his Olivet Discourse with. There will be wars and rumors of war. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine and pestilences.
0: Now, if we look at the release of the four horsemen... Uh, they start with a rider who has a bow and crown. Now most agree, this is the wars and rumors of wars. That's what it sounds like, right? Mm -hmm. But not yet arrived in that particular region of Jerusalem. But the clamor is that it is coming. Some say the bow is a symbol of war from a distance. Think about it, that was their long distance fighting Mm -hmm. tool of -hmm. that age. So it was a bow, it's distance wars, wars and rumors of wars, see how it fits together there? And and it all began shortly after Jesus' ascension. The next rider, With the sword, see the difference, is a symbol of close-fought warfare, hand-to-hand. That means it's close by. It's hand-to-hand combat. The second rider takes peace from the earth. It's really the land. Mm -hmm. The second rider takes peace from the land that they should kill one another. Now, this is clearly civil unrest in the region of of Judea, uh, and history tells us this really happened. More specifically, the historian Josephus that lived in the final period of the Jewish age and he related those events in his writings.
1: The next rider on a black horse had a pair of balances or scales in his hand. This is representative of the economic effects of war. As we mentioned before, every time one of the massive armies marched across Judea, they took whatever food, animals, and supplies they needed from the people placing great economic hardship on those who depended on the sale and trade of livestock and crops to survive. During the period of this writer, a voice cries out, a measure of wheat for a penny or denarius and three measures of barley for a penny. Okay, so to get an idea here.
0: So I- let's, let's look at the progression before you go to this. Yeah. The procre- there's distant war. Mm-hmm. Now there's war right here at hand. It's in Jolanda, G- Judah, and it's coming in, uh, into Jerusalem. Now, what happens? After all the sacking of all the armies crossing and everything, then you compound that with armies fighting right there that have to be fed. Listen guys, there weren't refrigerators and grocery lines mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. Right. They ate what, they killed, ate what was available while they were fighting. So now, look at the economic, look at how the economic impact, if you were living in an area and a war was being fought. It don't matter how big your farm is or how much you've got, you're soon, to you're soon gonna be wiped out.
2: That that was burned during the fights and everything else. So like,
0: so this yeah. rider a voice cries out a measure of wheat for mm-hmm. a penny and three measures of barley for a penny or a denarius.
2: And to get an idea, a denarius is translated a penny and it was the standard for a day's wages. In other words, a day's wages could only barely purchase enough food. For a single person for one day a measure of wheat was just under a quart and for the poorest of the poor who could not afford the preferred high quality of wheat they could buy the lesser nutritious barley at just over two quarts for a day's wages in other words the conditions were awful food was scarce and it was expensive and people were starving and that leads us right into the fourth rider
0: The fourth rider was on a pale horse, and he represents death and the grave. Our English text says death and hell, but it was translated from Hades, which is uh, synonymous with the grave. So what naturally follows a long projected, long projected, what naturally follows a long projected, i can't say it (laughs) protracted period of war why did i write that in there if i couldn't say (laughs) it i can think it but i can't say so so what naturally follows a long protracted protracted period of war the scarcity of food and supplies Mm -hmm. what happens when the shortage gets critical Famine. famine people die of starvation john said that a fourth part of the land again our english text says a fourth part of the earth which changes the meaning entirely. But a fourth part of the land was to die as a result of war and hunger. And, you know, we talk about now, well, there's a fourth part. Of, he didn't. He said a fourth part of the land.
1: Mm-hmm. As we are running very long on this episode, we're going to conclude with an eyewitness account from Josephus concerning this period in the land of Judea, or more especially Jerusalem.
0: Protracted. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. <So. laughs>
2: Josephus writes of Jerusalem as the siege is at its height and the fall is drawing nigh.
0: And this is what he says. All egress, now this is Josephus writing of the siege. Now listen to what he's saying here. We're talking about the fourth rider, the, the horse, the famine, the starvation, the death. And this is what he writes about it. Eyewitness. All egress being now intercepted, every hope of safety to the Jews was utterly cut off and famine with distended jaws, was devouring the people by houses and families. The roofs were filled with women and babies in the last stage, the streets with old men already dead. Children and youths swollen up huddled together like specters in the marketplaces, and they fell down wherever the pangs of death seized them. To inter their relations, they who were themselves affected had not the strength and those still in health and vigor were deterred by the multitude of the dead and the uncertainty that hung over themselves. For many, uh, for many expired while burying others, and many merely went to the cemeteries to wait their own fatal hour. These at first, finding the stench of the bodies unsupportable, ordered that they should be buried at the public expense, but afterwards, when unequal to the task, they threw them over the wall into the ravines below. But why, he continues, this is Josephus speaking, why need I enter into any partial details of their calamity when Minoas, the son of Lazarus, who, is at, who at this period took refuge with Titus, we all remember who Titus was, declared that from the 14th month of, uh, of Xanthicus, or the 14th of the month of Xanthicus, the day on which the Romans encamped before the walls until the new moon of Panamus. There were carried through that one gate which had been entrusted to him a hundred and fifteen thousand eight hundred and eighty corpses As an official of Rome to tend the gate Manoas was obligated to keep count After him was brought that a full six hundred we're just talking about outside of Jerusalem now After him word was brought that a full six hundred thousand had been thrown out through the gates Of the others that were thrown over the walls into the ravines or who lay stacked in the streets and houses, it was impossible to ascertain that number. Some were reduced to such distress, Josephus says, that they searched the sewers and the stale cattle droppings and ate the refuse. What they would formerly have turned away from in disgust had now become food.
1: So reading Josephus' eyewitness account and reflecting on the words of Jesus when he said there would be a great tribulation on the land, one of such that never had been before nor ever would be can there be any doubt that this is the event that he declared to his disciples that would happen in this generation and that some of them standing there with him on the mount of olives would live to see it all right so in conclusion
2: with so much promise of the predicted calamity coming quickly and happening soon how is it that so many of today's so-called authorities on new testament prophecy could miss the point by point fulfillment of the prophecy right under their noses perhaps being blinded by our own ego arrogance and determination to prove our theory of the fulfillment of these prophecies to be still sometime in the future we just like russell said cannot see the key that unlocks the whole matter hanging in plain sight just beside the door
0: and with that thought, until next time, as always, may God's grace, peace and love be on you, in you and radiate out from radiate out from each of you, our fellow seekers, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible.
2: Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com. All one word or send us an email at email at GodBeyondTheBible.com or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.